Now, I don't know about you, but when, when I get up in the morning, what I do is I kind of roll over to the side of the bed, I, I put my feet on the floor, I make tiny little fists with my, fo- my, uh, fists with my toes, I give a nice little stretch, I wander my way through the house, try not to step on a Lego, try not to be clawed by the cat who demands that I feed it after being awake for 30 seconds, I turn on the coffee pot, and then I go outside. I go outside because outside is my garage, inside my garage is my fridge, inside my fridge is my coffee creamer. Now, I don't tell you this because I'm looking for a round of applause or for your sympathy, oh, his garage is outside, it must be... uh." I'm just trying to tell you a story. Because when I stepped outside this morning, it was wonderful. It was very nice. You want to know why? Because I didn't feel like I was stepping into a cryogenical frozen capsule with Dr. Evil and Mr. Bigglesworth. It was warm. It was nice. I didn't have to search for an umbrella or a tiny coat. Instead, I had warmth. In fact, I went for a drive yesterday, turned the AC on. I miss AC. AC is nice. Had the fan all the way up to medium. It was great. And it really made me think, you know, not only am I grateful, but I also have to stop laughing at those Jimmy Kimmel videos where they're making fun of the Southern Californians and weather, right? Buckle up, Los Angeles. It's going to be 60 degrees. Because I realize that's me. I feel that way. Weather uh, affects me. It, it changes me. But I think the one thing that we can all agree on, the one thing that never changes, it's not the weather, you know, come rain, come shine. It's not whether we got the heater on or the AC cranking. The one thing that will never change is traffic. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yo, bro, it's church. That's where you say Jesus is love. Don't worry. That's my second point. But traffic, I'm going to stay on it for just a little bit here because uh, just look at it. I mean, I look at that and I start to think to myself, man, I have to go to the bathroom. I should not have, you know, I should have gone to the bathroom before I even looked at this. What am I doing sitting here in this much traffic? I try to pick out which lane I would be in. I kind of think of myself as this blue car right here. I'm sure you see it. And try to think, okay, if I just kind of maneuver my way here, I could totally get past this one guy. I try to channel my inner Dwight Schrute thinking, man, we do need a new plague. There are so many people in this world. And I'm just going through all these different thoughts as I look at this. And I think, wow, you know, this is, a, this is like a metaphor for my life. And maybe, maybe it's yours too, right? Because when I see this, I, I think of all the different things in my life. And I've got work there. I've got the projects that I've got to do. I've got my family. I've got taking kids to dance practice. I've got soccer practice. I've got, you know, healthy eating somewhere in there. I've got to join a new gym. I've got to find this. I've got to do that. I've got all these motions of anger and sadness and joy, and they're all just traffic. And I look at that, and I, and I get a little restless. I get a little congested. And I just I kind of like almost shut down because it feels like that's all of it. That is, that is life right there. That is everything that it could ever entail. A constant scheming to try to get one more little pace ahead and not have to be stuck. And then it happens, right? Whenever you have traffic, you got so many things that you're trying to do, and suddenly one of them takes the focus, or something comes out of nowhere, and boom, you've got a pile. You got traffic, and then you have this. You have the Word of God. I'm going to read this to you. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. 
And he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew's gospel is considered the teaching gospel. Some break it into five different sections. Uh, Jesus' teachings on righteousness, on his mission, on his kingdom, on his church, on his return. And basically it concerns the major spheres of our life, our personal life, our life with others, the problems that we would encounter, and then above all, our relationship to God. As we begin our series and going into Jesus' teachings over the next couple of weeks, we start here with the Sermon on the Mount, an outline of behavior for the citizens of God's kingdom. This is not a legalistic formula nor a new law that God has laid down here in Jesus. Instead, it is a mission, a message on what the new creation, the new life looks like. It's a call for faith in every area of life. And these are teachings that drive to the heart of the quality, the function, and the motives of the disciples of Jesus. See, the Beatitudes are the opposite of traffic. The Beatitudes are movement, movements of grace. From the salvation we receive by grace to the transformation that occurs because of grace. From the grace of forgiveness to the enabling grace to do. So we're going to buckle up, traffic metaphor, for these teachings of Jesus are not something that we just kind of read and think about and then be like, oh, that was kind of nice, or just the, uh, now i got one more thing to do now. But instead, this is a way of life that comes to us, that meets us where we are at, and calls us to this way of living that flows from faith and trust. So we're going to go through verse by verse. Let's bring up back up verse 1. And you see in verse 1, we've got Jesus withdrawing, right? It's an invitation for us to kind of have a sincere followers coming to him in an intimate way. He sits as if he was the professor in class, laying down his lessons, the essence of all his teaching. In verse 2, we see that he begins to teach them. The, uh, uh, some translations have he opens his mouth and begins to teach them. A, a representation of intimacy, one-on-one, being right there, coming from the heart. As he invites this new way of life to his disciples here, he is challenging their expectations of the way that life should be, a life of getting more, and instead is going to teach a life that is based on grace and sending his people out not to conquer, but to heal. And so we go in. Verse 3. We've got the word blessed. And just to be sure, that word blessed is not a promise of laughter or pleasure or even earthly prosperity. But instead, it means that we are blessed by God and we experience hope and joy. We experience wholeness and peace independent 
of the outward circumstances and things that we are experiencing. Poor in spirit, not having anything to do necessarily with our material possessions, but the poor in spirit are those who in absolute poverty of spirit, meaning they are completely dependent upon God, upon God for their relationship with Him. It is Jesus Christ who connects us to God, not our own works or our own worth. We must become people who have no confidence in our success or our achievements or no fear in our failures, but rather simply rest and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And King David was a good example of this. A man who, whether he was in the midst of triumph or was in the midst of horrible sin, trusted in God alone. Our next one looks at what it means to be blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Mourning meaning to care deeply, to know godly sorrow for sin, to be deeply concerned about evil in the world and about suffering, about injustice and the perversion of society. And we need to see the direct relationship here from that word comfort and the promised comforter, the Holy Spirit. Because what this is driving at is being a repentant spirit, opening ourselves to the presence of God and despising all that is wrong in the world. Not rejecting, not, not hiding from it, but instead looking at this one. Look at the next, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness. It's that place in between anger and then indifference, just not caring whatsoever. It's humility. It's the, it's the gentle spirit, the disciplined or controlled spirit. It's kind of like what Martin Luther called the Christian is the Lord of all, servant to none. Christian is servant of all, Lord to none. It's living with the mindset of recognizing that though the kingdom belongs to us on account of Christ, we don't lord that over anyone. We are willing to be as Jesus was, who in being very nature good with God did not consider Equality with God is something to be grasped, but rather took on the position of a slave, humbled himself even to death, death on a cross. If we look at that movement of starting with poor in spirit, moving to mourn, and then moving to meekness, when Jesus is speaking at his time, rabbis sought to learn as much as they could. Greeks treasured intelligence and being smarter than everyone. Romans treasured power. And yet here is Jesus saying, it is humility. It is only the humble who can truly learn and be taught. Only the humble who can accept and give forgiveness. Only the humble who can walk in grace and live in love. It goes on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness meaning right-relatedness, not with the law and doing everything, rather a right relation with God. A longing for God and to see His kingdom established and justice practiced by His disciples. Just like we long for water after an intense workout of doing like 12 push-ups and 5 burpees, we <laughs> must long for God. Looking at verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown 
mercy. This is a two-parter, right? Having received mercy, we ourselves become merciful. God has forgiven us freely. We too then forgive freely. Now, forgiveness is different than disciplining, say, our children, right? We are still called to discipline our children to do what is right as we raise them in the faith and love. But to forgive freely means to forgive with no strings attached. I will forgive you when. I will forgive you if. I forgive you. I love you. But I still hold you accountable to these things. And the second part of this one is the willingness to suffer with another. The willingness to enter into someone who is struggling and going through something and to come alongside them, not to give them the right answers, not to tell them what they should be doing, but rather to understand and to sit with them, to pray with them, to meet them as Christ did for us. Though he had no sin, took on the sin of each and every one of us and died for us. Verse 8, the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This one for me is the hardest, I think. I don't know about you. But to be pure in heart is to be completely unmixed. No duality. It calls for a self-examination of the motives for why we do what we do. Do I do this because I want this? Do I pretend so that others will think I'm this? This one drives at the core of who we are. To step away from deceitfulness and to simply be authentic. And it leads us into the ninth one. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And to understand peace here, we need to look at a verse in Ephesians where it describes the kind of peace that Jesus Christ brought and the kind of peace that we should uh, live out ourselves. So, Catherine, will you throw up that verse? Thank you. For he himself is our peace, that's Jesus, who has made the two groups, that's being the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers now, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the barriers of gender, of race, of socioeconomics, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Meaning it's not about what you do anymore, but now about what he has done in his flesh on the cross. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Peace begins with what God has done for us and then flows out from that into our relationship with others as we seek to honor one another despite our differences in opinions as we seek to love one another and to work towards unity. Three, four, and five of these verses have a movement. Six, seven, eight, nine with this peacemakers lead us into verse 10. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. See, to will God's will is to go against those who will for their own. And the way of the cross cuts through the will of humanity. And the kingdom is breaking into time, calling us to be disciples of Christ and living by his mercy and love. To abandon the idea of bumper-to-bumper living. And that grinding away to make a life for yourself. Cutting off whoever it takes to get there. Or just plain going through the motions and puttering out. Instead, we are called to stand in Christ. And to stand up for what is right. And it closes with this reminder in verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. A reminder that with Christ, with the gospel, you're either met with repentance and faith or rejection and persecution. As it was in the beginning, it will be until he returns. For the gospel does not claim that there are many ways or many truths or many lives, but that there is one, Jesus Christ. And that is why he was nailed to a cross, because he threatened society, he threatened a way of life, and he was killed. But death could not stop him, nor the radical new way of life that he taught and gives because he lives, and we do too. See, the gospel isn't just some fast pass to avoid traffic. Rather, it is peace and purpose in the midst of all the busyness and traffic of life. I want to invite the band back up to lead us in singing a song. And and while they're coming up here, this sort of kingdom living, this idea of the Beatitudes, isn't something that just happens overnight, you know? It takes time. It takes practice. It takes fellowship. And it takes prayer. That's the power of church life. It's the power of ministries like Celebrate Recovery or these Tuesday Night of Hope groups. Celebrate Recovery is built on the Beatitudes. It's not just for those who are struggling with addictions, but it's for, for all of us. For all of us who have gone astray to reset our lives around Christ and to build a community of believers to do that together. John, 1 John is all about fellowship. You can't do it on your own. And the body of Christ becomes what we have to rely on. We have to rely on the people sitting right next to us. On our things like our life groups. On being in God's word, being in worship, being friends. It's learning how to trust and put confidence on the grace of God and the love 
of others. Because by Christ alone we have been saved and are being transformed by His Holy Spirit. By Christ alone we have been forgiven and we are being sent. Amen.